Welcome to the Viva Wellness Podcast. My name is Jarrell. I'm Rachel. Thank you for joining us. It's been a week. It's been a week. It's been a week. It's been like a year, but especially it's been a week. So we are recording this, I was going to say towards the end of, but not really. It's been a week of the protests for racial justice here in New York City, where we are, as well as around the country and also around the world, which is pretty crazy. So we'll start with a really good vibes warm fact is I read somewhere yesterday that this is now the largest civil rights movement ever. Yes. Was that somewhere, perhaps my Instagram? It might have been <laughs> on your Instagram. Is that I, did where share, I did share that on my Instagram stories. Yeah, it might have been that. I okay. have been a couple people shared it, so it's it's floating around too. Yeah, I've been reading things recently where, and then I'll try to quote them back to clients, and I'm like, so. And usually, I sound much more articulate. Where I was like, oh, I read this article on this magazine, or I saw this on Twitter posted by this person, and this is what they said. And now, because thanks to the pandemic and all of this stuff with the protests that have been coming up, my brain is very fried. And so I'm just like, so this thing I saw at some point in the relatively distant, close, near past, maybe Mm -hmm. somewhere on social media, but maybe not. So this is what it said. Right. And people are like actually still listening to me, which I thought was really nice and generous. Yeah. That was, that was me more in like weeks past. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But here's what I got. I don't know where I, like I don't know where I heard it. I'm not exactly sure what the term is, but here we here we are. So. Yeah, I think the difference for me has been the obviously, you know, the pandemic wasn't great and right. I'm going to I guess toot my own horn a little bit, but not really because grad school kind of just forced this upon me. I'm not even going to say this is anything I intentionally sought out until our grad school experience forced it upon me, mm. but I have been well aware of injustices of marginalized groups for years. Yeah. And so this doesn't strike me as new information, but yeah. the elected officials responses mm. has really gotten me enraged. And it's yeah. just hard to think when you're just full of rage. Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to talk to you all today about something that's been coming up in some of the resources on social media and otherwise about what white people can do to do better, to do something, to make a difference. And one of the common themes that keeps coming up, especially it's kind of like a low hanging fruit type of situation. If protests aren't for you, if you're not able to donate, the thing you can do is to start having these conversations essentially with other white people, Mm -hmm. with friends, with family, with people you see on the street, if you feel so inclined, Mm -hmm. just how can you have these conversations as a white person with other white people after you have educated yourself, how can you pass that on to other people? And while I 100% agree, that's super necessary. And in some ways, one of the most important things you can do and one of the most impactful things you can do, it's also really hard And that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I'm a very big proponent of we should all do hard things. But I think it's helpful to break that down a little bit. And we wanted to give you some tips and strategies and tactics to really get your message across, communicate effectively, while also taking care of yourself and hopefully not wanting to throw one of your relatives out the window. Yes. Or you can want to, just don't do it. That's fair. You can want to. We just don't (laughs) encourage that you actually follow through on that action. You know, it's funny because something that I share with clients is an example of the idea of, 
your feelings can be whatever they want to be, but your actions are what you try to control is, and I don't know why this came to me, but I'm going to take credit for this. I invented this. My example is always, if you feel enraged because someone is walking down the street in a yellow polka dotted shirt, you get to feel enraged. Maybe polka dots really piss you off. Like that's up to you. You don't get to punch that person in the face. What did polka dots ever do to you? I don't really know. I actually don't have an issue with polka dots. Okay. But that's just like the first thing that came to mind as like right. something outrageous that someone could be wearing, which also isn't really that outrageous. Right. But like somebody head to toe in plaid would bother mm. me personally more than polka dots. Mm. But yeah, I just feel like fair. it creates like a vivid visual image. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Polka dot Maybe that's why. Yeah. Anyway, so one of the first things for me that I think it's important to distinguish between is to put people who you want to talk to in two separate categories because the approaches are actually very different. And Mm -hmm. when I say the categories, I feel like you'll understand why. The people who want to learn but don't know. So these are people who, thanks to white privilege, have never really had to deal with issues of racial injustice. They don't really understand white supremacy. They don't understand microaggressions. They don't understand how this isn't just about police brutality, but all of the systems in place that cause these types of situations, like the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade to happen. Mm -hmm. They just don't get it, but they're, they're willing to learn. So Mm -hmm. these are the people that are open-minded. They might get a little bit defensive, but generally speaking, their heart is in the right place. Yeah. So there you have that group of people. Then you have the other people who don't care. I I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. They don't care. They don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. They have their ideals. They think this is all nonsense. This is going to be somebody who's going to fight you on it and say things like racism doesn't exist and say things like, well, if they just complied with what the police officers wanted them to do, they would be in a different situation. And what about black on black crime and all of this nonsense that you hear people say? Those are those people. So for me, at least, and Jarell, you can let me know if you agree or disagree. The yeah. approach to handling each of those groups are different. Also, pause. <laughs> for, for everyone <laughs> okay. who's, uh, yeah, we have to take a time out first. For everyone who's new um, to us, Rachel is white. I am black. Oh, yeah. I so just, just, I don't know why. <laughs> we're not on television. People we're can't not on television. Okay. So, context, uh, and I say this because I was also going to start speaking obviously as from a black experience and like so I think that's an important distinction to make and just in case anyone is confused as well or just to clarify it like my pronouns she her and um, mine or he him so that's kind of where we're coming from in terms of our personal identity and yeah. with all of this and, and I think that's important too because we're going to later on in the episode mm-hmm. broaden this to talking about a lot of marginalized groups that mm-hmm. it's really the same premise um, of how to talk about these, these hard conversations and how to talk to people yeah. who are just saying the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So go ahead. Time out over. Yes. Work so your thoughts on the two groups? Yes, no, oh. you approach them the same way. You don't want to deal with either of them. <laughs> where Where are you with that? Well, okay. Yeah, so this is why because I said what I said because I was like, <laughs> yeah, my approach is probably going to be different, uh, but maybe not so much. I don't know. Um, so honestly, I think as, as a Black person, as a person of color, and I say those two identities very specifically because I hold 
a very specific space as a dark-skinned biracial black man. Um, New Yorkian. Yes. That was like one of my favorite things. That you had it. You there was a shirt, a bumper sticker. There was a is an Afro Rican shirt. Yes. Okay, but the it got it got uh, specified to New York. There was like a bumper sticker or something, or we saw it on someone at a Yankees game. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. You don't remember things, so I I don't remember things. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think so. For me, it really my response largely depends on the day. And, and sort of like what capacity I feel like I have. And this is something that's obviously been changing on a moment to moment, day by day basis, especially as like tensions have become like a lot more visible to the mainstream. Um, so, you know, my general practice though is that for people who are, um, you know, saying all lives matter, who communicate things that like about black on black crime, et cetera. Like, I'm of the vein that uh, I'm not engaging with you because this, this, whatever this conversation would be personally is going, probably going to be traumatic for me. And um, because it's going to remind me of all of the racist things I've had to deal with in my life. And I'm not the best person to bring you to some new understanding in this moment. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really good point because in my head, I'm envisioning, and I want to make this clear, I'm envisioning white people talking to white people. Because, and this is a point I made on social media today because I've been seeing a lot of this is that, and I'll, a little bit more background, two of the most important people to me who I talk to more than anyone else is, you know, one of them is also on this podcast, spoiler. Um, But the other one, my husband is a man of color. Mm-hmm. And so the two people, especially in pandemic world, <laughs> that I talk to the most are men of color. And so this has been something that as a white person who this isn't new information to me, but obviously it's escalated, it's tragic. I do get concerned about, am I doing the right thing? Am I taking mm-hmm. the right action? Am I speaking out in a way that is actually helpful rather than just the way I think it's helpful? Yeah. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. But you know who I don't go to these to, to you know who I don't go to for these concerns, the men of color, right? <laughs> because that's too much. It's too much. I can't ask Jarrell, for example, because you're here, while that you're dealing with all of this and how it affects you as a black person, as a person of color, to then take care of me and make me feel better about doing the right thing to help you. It's right. very similar to if you hurt someone's feelings and then apologize. And then feel badly about it. Like you can't ask that person who you just hurt and apologize to, to now make you feel better. Right. You take that shit elsewhere. Right. That's not for them. Right. And so that's a good point because I do want to make it very clear that like when we talk about this and the tips and tricks and how to do this, we're envisioning white people talking to white people or straight people talking to straight people, mm-hmm. men talking to men, mm-hmm. um, majority group to majority group, basically, right. Right. because it's not the work of LGBTQ people. It's not the work of women. It's not the work of black people to help white people, straight people, men through this work. It's not their job. They're doing enough. They're tired. Yeah. And this is and actually sort of underscores something that I've been, uh, I actually said to a client recently, and I've been, I'm, I think periodically talk about with clients is that, uh, especially for black, black clients recently, I've just been saying, you know, 
obviously there's a lot of pressure to show up or to perform um, in protest or in whatever various ways. And so to any person of color, but specifically black person who's listening to this, please know that uh, you don't have to do anything. This is not your problem. So if you choose to sit on your couch and watch the big flower fight, shout out to Netflix for that peace, peaceful little weird show, um, or you want to watch old episodes of Martin or whatever, like you get to do that and you don't have to feel guilty about it uh, because this is not your problem. You did not create it. Therefore, it's not yours to fix. On the other hand, I understand that pragmatically being able to do certain things helps us feel more in control and it helps us impact change. So if that's what you want to do, you feel like you have the capacity for it, please go for it. But that's not mandatory because you taking care of yourself in and of itself, as Audre Lorde said, is political warfare. So just want to put that out there. Would you say a good distinction to make to simplify it is that it should be the black person's choice. Like if they come at you and say, no, let me set you straight. Cool. Listen, but a white person should not be asking them unprompted from a black person or the person of color or the LGBTQ person. Yeah. And I would also say that like, and this is, you know, I'm obviously like a stubborn person by nature, but also like not other people from within your group also like they don't get to dictate that to you yeah like you get to decide so like as an individual you get to decide what works best for you um taking all those things that we said into consideration yeah yeah agreed so did you ask a question i forgot the question that was my question (laughs) did you did you not answer my question i thought you answered my question i don't know okay Cool. This is where we are. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So white person to white person. Mm -hmm. So kind of going with those two groups, I'm going to take the first group first. Yep. See, this is where our brains are. Mm -hmm. And so these are the people who want to learn, but might not be there. They have work to do, but they're willing, they're open. I think this is a place where if you are a white person who has educated themselves on white supremacy, on all of these isms and things that are affecting people in your community, and we can link to some of the resources in the show notes. So you can, if you haven't found your own, you can try to start there. Mm -hmm. If you've educated, if you've educated yourself, I feel like this is where you sit down with somebody, whether it's your parent, your sibling, a good friend and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you read a book on microaggressions, like talk about that. Talk about how, as a white person, you don't really think about what color band aid you're going to have. Because mm-hmm. um, that's that's a thing, and yeah. I didn't know that was a thing until I intentionally made it a point to know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, other people might not be ma- intentionally making it a point to learn that that's a thing. And so tell them, talk to them, have these conversations. You provide them with the resources so Black people don't have to. Yeah. Do the Googling yourself, pass it on to others, have that back and forth, correct people when necessary, listen to what they're saying. If something comes up for you that you're not sure about or made you uncomfortable, unpack that, do more research. It's just like a back and forth dialogue. I'm envisioning like two scientists in a lab uh, exchanging their findings. Mm. 
of like, oh, I learned that the virus can do this and it has a funny color. Oh, mine has weird edges. I don't know anything about viruses and what. I was you like, I don't know what just happened, but all right. But you get it. You're exchanging ideas and information and teaching each other and just having open dialogue to help the person who wants to do better do better. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. I don't think most people fall under this category. And maybe I'm just really cynical this week. Mm. But It's hard not to be. Yeah. But my experience has been most people fall somewhere in the resistant category. This mm-hmm. is not to say that everyone in your life is waving a Trump flag, wearing a MAGA hat, and refusing to listen to anything anyone says. Yeah. Nice stereotype I just painted there. But I think it's really hard (laughs) to hear some of these conversations without becoming defensive, without being resistant. It doesn't feel good. It makes you uncomfortable. People don't like to be uncomfortable. This could be a different podcast episode about why we should all get uncomfortable every once in a while, every day, you know, whatever. Yeah. But a lot of people are going to fall into this resistant category. And I think the first thing to try is the education piece. Try to help them, right? Mm-hmm. They'll probably meet you with some type of resistance. Right. That is unfortunate. Yeah. And I think depending on who it is, this is where it gets messy. And I think this is where people drop out of these conversations is, you know, who wants to have a fight with their father at the Thanksgiving table? Sure. It's not what Thanksgiving is supposed to be. It's not what Christmas is supposed to be. It's not what Sunday is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so they back off. And at the same time, this is that whole discomfort thing. I think what ends up happening is the person who tried to start the conversation or try to educate is uncomfortable. The person who was on the receiving end of the potential education is uncomfortable. And then everybody just sits there and nothing actually gets done. Would Would you agree that that's usually what ends up happening and why some of this work doesn't actually occur? Yeah, I think um, people get, and understandably so, very uncomfortable. And and so I think that uh, in those moments, the the normal and natural reaction is to protect and avoid. And and so people just sort of really go inward or avoid and escape, you know, leave the room or whatever. And I think it's really important that if we're trying to produce systemic change. Like you have to, as a white person, resist that impulse, resist the impulse to run, resist the impulse to go quiet. Like you have to fight through that, um, no matter how uncomfortable it is, because the reality is, is that all of your black peers don't have and have never had that option. Right. And so part of the work now is you having to live through that discomfort, living through that pain, being able to look at people who you love and care about and know that they're racist and still lean in and do what you have to do. That's, that is the work. Yeah. And I think the reason I divide them, these people into two groups is because what ends up happening is it's a pivot. They don't want to learn. Okay. Mm. That is their choice. You can't force information into someone's brain. Right. This is not some weird alien movie that we're living in. Right. Although maybe we're close. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So what you can do, though, is pivot and make sure that you continuously send the message that certain comments, actions, behaviors, whatever, are not acceptable. Yes. 
you don't have to explain why you can try. And once they are like, no, okay, you don't want to hear why, but these are still unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So if someone's using a racial slur at the dinner table and you try to say, actually, here's why this isn't cool. And they shut you down. Okay. They don't want to hear why this is a problem and actually what they're saying means and the impact and all of the above. Mm -hmm. But the alternative to that education is not nothing. Like Jarrell said, it's not shutting up. Mm-hmm. Black people don't have that option. Mm-hmm. So what you do instead is the next time that racial slur comes up or the next time, you know, that subtle dig at a specific group pops up again, you just say, that's not acceptable. I don't want to be here if that's the conversation we're going to have. I will excuse myself from the table. Right. Please don't say that in front of me. Yep. That comment is offensive. I will not tolerate this type of language. You will not speak about black people like that in my presence. This isn't okay. Yeah. And I would also, I would also encourage people like, and it depends on the relationship in some ways and in some ways it doesn't. I want to encourage white people specifically to label these things as racism, because I think that's part of the education gap is that people don't understand like, um, I don't know how certain uh, things are actually racist and so if you can attach that label to the things that you know are racist to other white people, it helps them make that connection so that they're learning even if they are resisting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's putting up that boundary. Yeah. Even if you're not going to necessarily help them see the white. Right. Imagine if everyone who was willing to do the work did that for people who weren't. Right. Uh, like you can do what you want to do in your own time, but you're mm-hmm. not talking about this in this way in front of me. Yeah. This isn't acceptable, right? Why do people stop doing things at least publicly? Mm-hmm. Because it's again, social norms, right? Right. There's a reason we don't all pull down our pants in public and pee on the sidewalk, you know, right. for the most part. Right. Because other people around us have made that not okay. So even if I think it's perfectly acceptable to pee everywhere, I don't for the record, Mm -hmm. I'm still not going to do it because I know the chances are if I do and someone sees me, I'm going to get called out Mm -hmm. and that's going to make me uncomfortable. And I don't like to be called out. Nobody likes to be called out. No one likes to be told they're doing the wrong thing. And no one likes to have people get up from a dinner table because they're like, you're talking about something that's deeply offensive and I'm not going to stand for it. Mm -hmm. It can literally be as simple as that. Yep. I didn't say easy. I said simple. Yep. It's as simple as just saying, I am not going to tolerate racist behavior in my space from anyone. Mm-hmm. We're just not going to do it. It needs to be as taboo and unacceptable as, you know, someone calling your friend that you brought home to dinner an ugly bitch. Mm-hmm. That would be crazy, right? If you brought a friend home to dinner and your uncle sat there and was like, hey, ugly bitch, you'd be like, no, no. Why, why is no. it always an uncle? It's always it's an always uncle. An uncle. It's always an <laughs> we uncle. always use that example. It's like uncle. Yeah. Anyway. You know what? Anybody who has a good uncle that they really appreciate and love and has made a positive impact in their life, let us know. Maybe we can start spotlighting <laughs> the good uncles. Yeah. Yeah, it's always an uncle. Right. But if, if that you know, cousin, I'm going to change it up. If that cousin said that, you would be like, no, sir, we're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. It needs to be the same thing for both overtly racist statements, but also those subtle digs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also an important distinction 
is that it doesn't have to be someone doing something as blatantly crazy as saying the N word at dinner. Right. But you know, those, what about black on black crime? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, his favorite color must be pink. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're Jewish. So you must be really good with money. Mm -hmm. All those little subtle comments, they also have to be called out because there's also there's a graphic floating around social media that has a pyramid and at the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. it's like all the overt racist acts of like you know using the n-word um overly just dis- overtly discriminating by being like oh you're black you can't come in my store and it's a very small part of the pyramid but then the rest of it is everything that's like subtle and a dig and not really crazy to say out loud, but actually is really crazy to say out loud because of the impact it leaves on another person. Like that comment of like, oh, you sound smart for a Mexican person. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you- they're like from freaking California. Right. Or you talk like a white person. Right. Which mm-hmm. like, what does a white person talk like? But, but anyway, we won't right. Go. right. You're pretty for a black girl. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. Things like that, where it's like, oh, but I meant it as a compliment. No, you didn't. <laughs> or if you did, you are, then you're wrong. That's not you a compliment. To, right. You need to understand why it's a problem. Right. And not do it again. Right. Ever. Yeah. And at the very least, you know, these are, like I said, these people who maybe they personally don't feel compelled to change, but at the very least, maybe they're going to stop saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't say it out loud, my guess is they don't have any black friends. So no one's hearing it. Great. At the bare minimum, you're saying it only in your head now. Yeah. Because other people have told you that you are not going to be able to say this to them out loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that honestly, you know, can sound like the bare minimum. But at the end of the day... That's more than nothing. And it's not the bare minimum because you're, in, you're impacting change in your circle. Yeah. And, that, and for, for a lot of things, that's really the most impactful thing you can do. Um, you know, because in order, you know, we're talking about potentially making some really big systemic and structural changes. But, um, you know, what really has to happen first is that people's hearts and minds have to be changed. And, and so that happens usually in relation to other people, right? Like white people being able to talk to other white people about racism helps bring about new understanding, helps bring about more compassion, more empathy, um, and which might lead to these changes in thoughts and which will impact behaviors and choices and votes and policies. Uh, so it's actually really important work to be talking to people. Yes. agree. And this doesn't just apply to conversations about race. Yeah. They're important. We need to have them. But I have been shouting this term a lot recently, but I recommend anyone look up the word intersectionality if you haven't heard it before. Mm -hmm. It is why George Floyd gets more attention than Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. It is why some people listening probably have not heard who Tony McDade is. Mm -hmm. Or Nina Pop. Yep. Right? right. Like there's, they're endless, endless. People. I was going to say, there's way more before the people who yeah. um, were murdered within the last few weeks. But yeah, intersectionality, look it up. And but, also to take that a step further, if you find yourself deeper, 
Um, an, another phraseology that's sort of been brought up has been the term social location. So people who exist at certain social locations, right, that intersect. So throw that out there too. Yeah, good research. It's the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it's important to remember that this doesn't just apply to conversations about race, although it should, but it should also apply to conversations about other marginalized groups, LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. other other races, not just Black people, because wasn't that long ago that prior to everything being shut down, all of the Chinatown businesses and Flushing and Sunset Park in New York City, the predominantly Asian communities, their businesses were going under well before all the shutdowns for COVID happened because we heard that the virus comes from China. And despite not having a ton of reported cases in the city, for example, everyone decided that they'll go about their daily lives, but they're not going to... Uh, eat at those restaurants or visit those businesses or those neighborhoods because uh, evidently COVID is found in noodles. Right. Or China. something. China. Right. Which <laughs> FYI yeah. did not even come from China, especially if you're in New York, but you know, it doesn't matter. It, right. It also doesn't matter. Viruses <laughs> don't exist in, in countries. Like they didn't right. come from countries. Yeah. Or food, you know, right. like, I ate in Chinatown right before all this. I The dumplings were good. I didn't kill over and die. Um, but so that was a really big, like, in, intense racist act that happened yep. Yep. For, with a large group of people mm-hmm. for a long period of time. In um, progressive, quote-unquote, progressive liberal New York City. Right. Yeah. So it is not just Black people, although that conversation is very important. It is all types of races. It is, you know, the Latino men, women, and children who are sitting in cages right now. Mm-hmm. So it's conversations about that. It's conversations. It's Pride Month. It's conversations about LGBTQ people. Um, you know, if you're at a bar and someone makes a comment like, that's so gay, that's probably a time to speak up. Because yeah. the question yeah. becomes, what exactly is gay? And also, why is that an insult? Mm-hmm. And also, like, why are you late? Like that was done ten plus years ago. <laughs> so like, also like, yeah. But aside from being like homophobic and stupid, you're also late. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> party to the party. Right. I know. That, that right. was like ten years ago. I'm not cool. Also, but it rhymes. It's cute. Um, women, hey, yep. men out there, if you're in a group of men and a woman walks by you. And your friends start making gestures or facial expressions or comments about her ass or what she's wearing or how you'd like to hit that. I don't know if people still say that either. Like I said, I'm not cool. But the point is, that's a time to speak up. Yep. Because that's sexism. Yeah. Tell them to cut it out. Say like, you know what? That's not, it's not okay that you're saying that. She probably feels unsafe. Like, that's not cool. Don't do that. Right. And if you keep doing that, like I'm out. Yep. The same, same principle. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think it's important to focus on the crisis issue of the moment. Yeah. Um, I would say increased crisis because it's always been a crisis mm-hmm. and really put that focus on what's happening within the black community and what the black community is telling you, but also know that it, go- it gets bigger. Yeah. And there is a lot of injustice and discrimination that happens in a lot of different ways to a lot of different groups. And it's funny that, we're resistant 
And by we, I mean white people. By we, I mean men. I'm not, I'm not men, but you know, that's who I mean by we, straight people. It's funny that so many people are resistant to the systemic change because the system works for very few people. Right. So I'm not really sure what all of these people are doing by refusing to listen because it just seems crazy to me that while I'm white, I'm also a woman and I know what it's like to live in this world as a woman. And so given that, and that I know that injustice to be true, why would I ignore or dismiss a black person who is essentially saying the same thing just for a different reason? The system doesn't work for a lot of people. And so thinking about that and how you can impact change both for the black community based on what's going on right now, but also just generally speaking, we can hold more than one thing at a time. And the more of these marginalized identities someone holds, the worse off they are and the harder time that they have, Mm -hmm. which is why it's important. Intersectionality, that's the word again. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important to look at this as a big picture because it, it affects so many of us in so many ways that we, we need to do the work. If you hold a majority group label, mm-hmm. it is up to you to do the work. Right. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, some of this advice that we're giving you can help you get started in doing so. Absolutely. We appreciate that you joined us for this episode. If you are affected by what's going on, the pandemic, remember when we thought that was the biggest problem we were going to face this year, the protests, um, things you're seeing on the news, things you're seeing on social media. If you're affected by that and you're having a hard time, just know that we're with you. We see you and we're sending you all the love and strength to get through this. You can do it. I believe in you. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can reach out to us on social media. We are at Viva Wellness NYC on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we hope you join us next time. Bye.